0: Oh Lord Just worship his name right and praise him at the same time thank God. So.
1: bow our head let us pray glory and honor and praise to you dear heavenly father we are here gathered lifting your most precious name hallelujah to the highest we humbly thank you father for allowing us to be with you in spirit today we ask lord for the holy spirit to lead us as we sing and as we study your words Please forgive us, Lord, for all the things that we did that brought dishonour to your name. Truly, Lord, we are not worthy to be called your children. It is only through your grace and mercy that we can call you Father. Your ways are perfect, Lord. Please give us wisdom to know you and understand your ways daily. In your hand we commit our brothers and sisters that are sick. Heal them, Lord, our pastors and their families. Keep them safe, strong, and healthy. The birthday celebrants, we thank you for adding fruitful year in their lives. Our church leaders, prayer leaders, worship ministry, Bible study leaders, daily prayer leaders, technical group, and ushers. Thank you, Lord, for their hearts that are willing to serve. May you bless them abundantly. Please be, uh, be with us now, Father, as we pray our hearts and minds. May we listen, understand, and allow the Holy Spirit to change us. We pray all this in humility and gratefulness. Amen. let worship God.
0: You're everywhere, God. You're everywhere. Put up your hands and say, hey, bye. I'm desperate for... Never let me go, Lord. Never let us go. Don't be close, God. Don't be close to you. Never let me go. Feel the warmth of your...
2: Good morning. Please tell your neighbor I'm happy to see you. Turn to your left and to your right. Tell your neighbor I'm happy to see you. Right. We're gonna turn on the lights in in a moment. Well, today is Palm Sunday. Um, All over the world, regardless of denominations, we are celebrating Palm Sunday. That means um, we are sub-churches, especially the traditional ones, are waving palm branches uh, because this is the theme of this Sunday. Why is this important, though? This is important because when Jesus entered Jerusalem this week, he was greeted by a lot of people, people who have been giving him cheers and jubilation, saying, Hosanna, son of David. At the end of the week, a different crowd would emerge, and this crowd would say, crucify him, crucify him. So the question is, why did the Jews change their minds? Who is Jesus really? And why is it important for me to know who is Jesus really in my life? I want you to watch this clip, very short clip, because this tells us what exactly happened On Palm Sunday,
3: Jesus' purpose in riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be Messiah in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Jesus rode into his capital city through the golden gate of the temple complex as a conquering king and was hailed by the people as such. Now, I'm standing on top of the Mount of Olives, about halfway between Bethphage to the east over there and the Golden Gate to the west. Now, the Golden Gate has been filled with stone blocks, but you can still see its location right over there. Now, in between the Golden Gate and me is the Kidron Valley. Back to the biblical narrative. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Mark 11, 9 and
2: 10. Alright, thank you very much. Although we are using Matthew 21, the same with Mark chapter 11, All the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would have the same, uh, at least in the same details, have the same records of what really happened during the Palm Sunday. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he was greeted by the people, waving palm branches, hailing him as King, Hosanna, son of David. Now right off the bat, if you have been reading the book of Matthew, in chapter one, you would say, you would see a list of names, we call them genealogy. Genealogy, is Matthew's way to present Jesus who he is, his identity. Now, to us Westerners, it doesn't make sense. Um, Some Asians, to to us Asians also, it doesn't make sense. This is equivalent of going online and probably looking up your birth certificate to know exactly who you are. Or maybe this is an equivalent also of going online to ancestry.com, giving your DNA and, and really trying to find out who you really are through your DNA. Matthew was giving and presenting Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, his genealogy to solidify his claim to who he really is. Now, among the list of names were two very distinct names. Number one is Abraham, and second is David. Who is Abraham and who is David? Abraham is the father of the nation. Although Israel, uh, Jacob was the, the originator of the name Israel, but It was Abraham who received the first covenant from God. And therefore, every Jew would always go back to Abraham as their forefather, as the original Jew. But then it also mentions David. David is the first king that God anointed, and actually God chose, not Saul, but David. And God made a covenant with David that he will establish his kingdom forever. Now, what happened after David was, there was a division of the kingdom it split into two the northern and the southern kingdom and there were civil wars in Israel until such time that the Assyrians came and took the Israelites captive that's the northern kingdom and about 586 BC the Babylonians came and took the Israelites into exile to Babylon and that's the end of Israel. But even in exile, the people of Israel had this messianic hope. They were anticipating something that soon after, God will deliver them from slavery. And we get that from Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Let me read this to you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. God was talking to David. He said, your throne shall be established forever. This is one of those passages that the Jews would always look up to, even now, Whenever they talk about their messianic hope, about this messianic king, they would say that there will be a coming king. Even up to now, the Jews believe that there's a king who's coming based on this passage. But see, this passage talks about this messianic king. And there's no doubt about it. What this means is that God promised David that his kingdom will be established forever. And that means the next king, the successive kings after David, will be the king that is official and legitimate to sit on the throne. That means anyone else who is not descendant of David, who pretends to be king, is not the real king. And so imagine this, in the time of Jesus Christ, Herod was a king, but he was not a Jew, he was an Edomian. Pilate was a governor, but he was a Roman. Caesar was a Roman, not a Jew. And so the Jews, even though they were under Rome, they have a puppet king, Herod, they do not acknowledge Herod as their king. So when Jesus Christ, in the triumphal entry, marched to Jerusalem, sorry, rode a donkey, entered Jerusalem, the people were shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Now, this is very interesting because right off the bat, Matthew quotes two passages from the Old Testament, one from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And S- Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11, combine them together, put it in one quote. You find that in verse 5 of Matthew 21. Let me read this to you. Matthew said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion is Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a beast of burden. Now this is a very interesting quote. It's interesting because... I- you know, two passages were combined. Uh, the one from Isaiah is saying, oh, daughter of Zion, salvation is coming. But in Zechariah, what i saying is that the king is coming. So both of the ideas, the king and salvation, is put into one. Salvation and the king is coming. That means the king who's coming is about to bring salvation. But what's interesting here is the identity of this king. Who is this king? Who is this coming king? Question again. Is who is Jesus? I remember years ago there was a book that emerged. It is a, a fiction book. It's a novel written by Dan Brown. Um, probably have this photo of Dan Brown. Um, when it came out, um, the Christian Christendom was um, at least shaken because this novel, although this is fiction, uh, it depicts a very tw- character of Jesus. It, it made Jesus a historical Jesus. What happened was in this book, in this novel it says that Jesus had a relationship with one of his disciples, Mary. And because of that relationship they had a child. Very twisted in fact. But what we don't know when it was published is that Dan Brown was using Gnostic Gospels as a documentation source for his book when we say Gnostic Gospels, we're talking about pseudo-Gospels, not real historical Gospels. Gospels that were, you know, just written for the sake of being written by people who think that this is the proper interpretation for the historical Jesus. And when the scholars pointed it out, it died. Now, you probably have um, seen the film. It was adapted in the film or writ, uh, played by Tom Hanks, Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code. That's based on the book of Dan Brown, The Vinci Code. So the question really is, who is Jesus? When it hit um, the stores in 2008, uh, I was still in the Philippines, and, and the evangelical community in the Philippines have been so busy trying to fight over this, this controversy because even Christians started buying, reading, and asking questions about who Jesus really is. So it's stirred the question, who is Jesus really? In 2015, there is a group by the name of a Barna Research Group that tried to make a research on how many Americans believe in Jesus Christ and what do they believe in Jesus Christ. And they found that 6 out of 10 millennials do not believe that Jesus is divine. About 4 out of 10, both Gen Xers and Baby Boomers, believe that Jesus Christ is only just as popular as Mohammed and Buddha, not divine. This is very sad because, for one, we have been asking this question, who is Jesus? And, and even people here in the United States are confused as to who really Jesus is. So let's start with the Jews. Let's ask, what kind of Jews, what kind of Jesus, rather, were they expecting? What kind of Jesus were the Jews expecting? What kind of Jesus were the prophets writing about? Who is this Jesus that will come? What is the basis of this messianic hope that the Jews still believe up to now? Now, based on Matthew 21, verse 5, it says, your king is coming. So there was this king prophesied he will be riding on a donkey, humble on a a colt, on a donkey, on a colt. This is supposed to be a king. What is a king? In the understanding of the Jews, a king is a messiah. So this is probably a very confusing word, but Messiah does not mean divine. Messiah simply means anointed king. And so when we talk about David, he was anointed, he was given the oil by Samuel, he was anointed, chosen by God, and he became king. Now, therefore, he is Messiah king. That's as simple as that. And so even the Jews today are expecting another Messiah, another king that is anointed by God. When I was... uh, You know, before when we were watching Matrix and they were talking about the one, the one, the one. It's like this, a messianic, the one, a savior that will come as king to liberate the people from slavery. This is the hope that they have of this king. But this king is also authorized to rule on God's behalf. He's not just an anointed king, but he's authorized to rule on God's behalf. That means David's rule is unquestionable because he was chosen by God to rule on his behalf. Now, what's interesting here is that, according to Matthew, this king will be riding on a donkey. You probably heard this sermon before, but let's clear the confusion. He's riding a donkey not because he cannot afford the horse. He's riding a donkey not because he's humble and he wanted to ride the donkey and horses are made for war. Nothing of that sort. Culturally speaking, kings do not ride horses in the Middle East. They would prefer to ride mules because mules are smoother to ride. Secondly, in a very steep terrain of up and down mountains, you don't ride horse, you ride a mule. So kings ride mules or donkeys. That's the reason why Jesus was riding a donkey. Is all good. Are we clear on that? Now, this is very interesting because this this uh, gesture of Jesus riding on a donkey entering the city of Jerusalem was prophesied long time ago based on Second Samuel chapter 7. Let me read this to you. This is God's promise to David. God said, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. If there's one thing that we can find here is that this coming king, the son of David, will be doing one thing. He will build the house of God, the temple of God. And what we know from history is that Solomon was the one who built God's temple. What we also know from history is that David had many wives and many sons, and not from all those sons who would be the next king. So there was a time when David was old, his eldest son Adonijah tried to steal the throne from his father. He created a coup, but his coup was discovered by prophet Nathan, and David discovered it too. So David immediately instructed the prophet Nathan, his general Benaiah, and his priest Zadok to anoint Solomon as king instead of Adonijah. This is what he says in 1 Kings 1.33 and 34, And I would like you to picture this. I'd like you to picture Jesus riding on a donkey, entering Jerusalem as king, and people are saying, Hosanna, son of David. And as we read this, I'd like you to make a mental picture of that. 1 Kings 1.33 and 34. David and the king said to them, the king's David, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule the king as his own mule, and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel, then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Now here's the picture, again, if you compare the pictures, the images of Jesus riding on a donkey entering the, c- the city of Jerusalem and Solomon coming from Gihon riding on a mule entering the city of Jerusalem. Are you making a connection? What this means is that if you were a Jew and you know the history of Israel and you know that when Solomon entered the city of Jerusalem, he entered by the east gate, the golden gate, riding the mule. And that signifies a new king. And then you see Jesus riding on the same donkey, going straight to Jerusalem, going through the same golden gate, the east gate. What you get is not a coincidence, but you would say, deja vu. As if it's happening all over again. It's being repeated again. Solomon was made king. Now Jesus is being hailed as Hosanna, son of David. What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna simply means, Hosanna is not hallelujah. Hosanna simply means save us. That's literally, save us, son of David. Both Solomon and Jesus are sons of David makes you ever even wonder that Solomon and his role in building the temple points to Jesus, the real Solomon, the real Solomon who will build God's temple. See, the name Solomon is from a cognate word in Hebrew means shalom, peace. And that's why Solomon is the prince of peace. makes you ever wonder if Jesus too is the prince of peace. Because in Ma- uh, Isaiah 53, he said to be the prince of peace. See, Solomon prefigures the coming of Jesus. Solomon's building of the temple prefigures Jesus building his own temple. What I think is that the real idea behind this is that although Jesus was coming, entering the, the golden gate, the city of Jerusalem, but the people did not appreciate, not all people appreciate what's going on there. They recognize Jesus, but they have a very narrow understanding of what Jesus is about to do. Now, these people who were shouting, Hosanna, son of David, they were were, uh, trying to understand what Jesus is doing. And in their understanding, Jesus is coming as the new king who will topple down the Roman government because that time they were under the Roman occupation. All they thought that the king is coming to save them or liberate them from slavery. That's it. That's about it. They're very political. But what they did know is that Jesus came for more than the political reason, for more than the political issue. Many times, uh, even up to now, we are bombarded with influences. So you go to social media, you're influenced by many, many factors, many people, uh, advertisements all over the social media. Tiktok is now one of the best, one of the most influential uh, app in the social media world. People like TV personalities, uh, celebrities, politicians, TV hosts are very influential. One of the most influential p- people here today is Oprah. How many knows Oprah? Not very influential though. Oprah. She's one of the richest black women here in the United States. Very interesting. What's more interesting is that she also claims to be Christian. She, In fact, she grew up in a church. She claims to be a follower of Jesus. But other than that, she also supports a very s- interesting figure by the name of Deepak Chopra. Who knows Deepak Chopra? Cool. We know him. He's an Indian-American Uh, personality. He's an acclaimed spiritual guru who believes and leads people to follow him because he said he knows the truth. He knows how to, you know, come into enlightenment. Deepak Chopra, very interestingly, in 2008, wrote a book entitled The Third Jesus. He said there are three Jesuses. Number one, the historical Jesus that was was raised and, and died in Israel. The second Jesus is what the pastors preached during Sunday. We concoct, he said, we concoct a lot of things about Jesus. And the third Jesus is according to him, his own discovery that this Jesus led the way to the final revelation of enlightenment. Let me quote to you what he said. He said, Jesus embodied the highest level of enlightenment. Jesus intended to save the world by showing others the path uh, to God's consciousness. What he's saying is this. Jesus is not the way. Jesus only points to the way. Are you with me? What he's saying is that he's a savior, but he's a savior not because he saved the world. He's a savior because he is pointing to the exit, to where we will be saved. You know, we understand because he's a Hindu. But Jesus, really, who is he? The question remains, who is Jesus? This is the same question, in fact, in the first century with his disciples. You remember when he was in a boat and there was a huge storm? And then suddenly Jesus stood up and said, peace, come down. And the storm died. And his disciples, 12 of them, they even said, who is this? They've been with Jesus for about a year. And they said, who is this? Another group of people in Matthew 21 When Jesus was entering Jerusalem, triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday, the people in the city of Jerusalem asked this question in verse 10, who is this? They don't know who Jesus is. The very interesting thing is Jesus has been in the ministry for three years now, although he has concentrated his ministry up north. But the people of Jerusalem must have known who Jesus is. And still they are puzzled with the identity of Jesus. Who is this? And then Jesus was brought down to Sanhedrin, and the high priest himself was interrogating Jesus. He was cross-examining him, and he asked the question, Are you the son of God? Who are you? Who is this man? And then he was brought to to Pilate, and Pilate asked the same question. Are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? Who is this? And probably we have the same question right now, who is Jesus really? Who is Jesus? The clue here is this, when Jesus entered Jerusalem and the people were crying and shouting, Hosanna, son of David, he went straight to the temple. Now the clue to understanding who Jesus really is is what he did in the temple. Jesus went straight to the temple, he cleared out the temple, he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. What he practically did, he's commissioned the temple from its use remember during the height of the pandemic, many businesses were being closed. You remember that? Because we don't want to care people and spread the virus. Jesus was practically decommissioning the temple and by gesture saying, this should not be in use anymore. God is not pleased with the sacrifices anymore. We must put a stop on this. The temple is not the temple anymore where God's presence is found. That's what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is that there is a new temple coming, and you have to watch out. Very interestingly, this is what he said in the beginning of his ministry. Y- you know, if you're re- reading your Bible and you compare the four Gospels—Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—and you will see some discrepancies, but because they were giving different emphasis. Now, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he already went to Jerusalem. He drove out the people who were buying and selling inside. What's interesting is that when he first went there, you know, the first year of his three-year ministry, the people were asking him, give us a sign, who are you? Who are you really? What authority do you have to clear out the temple and clear out the sacrifices? They're asking, who are you? This is what Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 19. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Why would Jesus say that? See, the problem is that this temple, Herod's temple, was built in 46 years. I mean, you cannot just destroy and rebuild in three days. Not even the Chinese can do that. But Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't mean the physical building. Jesus meant something else. Because in verse 21 it says, But when he was about the temple of his body... What he meant is that he will die, and after three days, he will resurrect from the dead. What he meant, the new temple is not the physical building anymore. The new temple is his body. What he meant is that where the temple is the only legitimate place to offer sacrifices, it will be undone. The new place of worship, the new place of sacrifice is his body. And at the wi- on that weekend, on Friday, he will offer the last and final sacrifice— that temple. That was his try- his, what he's trying to say. That means what Solomon did in building the temple points to Jesus building the ultimate temple, where this temple does not need any more daily sacrifices because Jesus would have the first and final sacrifice. What I think is that there's a very narrow understanding of the people who have greeted Jesus, Hosanna, son of David. They're saying, save us, son of David. You are the son of David. You must be king. But their understanding is too narrow. Their understanding is only liberation politically. What Jesus did and the reason why he came is to address the real and ultimate source of evil. See, this is the reason why a lot of atheists, people who don't believe in God, are skeptical about Christianity because they say, if there is God, why is there evil? And evil seems to be the greatest obstacle for people to believe in God. Jesus came to fix that problem. The reason why he came was to them. See, the beginning of everything, the source of all evil, is coming from the heart. Didn't Jesus say to the Pharisees, what defiles a person is that what you put inside the mouth, what really defiles a person is what comes out of the heart, for out of the ab- of the heart, there's evil. See, Jesus came to liberate us from the ultimate sin and death. That is the curse beginning from Genesis chapter 3. The ultimate liberation is not liberation from this world or liberation of Ukraine from Russian invasion. The real liberation is liberation from the curse of sin and death. And that's the reason why Jesus came. This is probably why Deepak Chopra, and I would give him credit to this, probably why Deepak Chopra wrote this book, The Third Jesus, because he understood that science cannot fix the problem of evil. Medicine cannot fix the problem of of the soul. Psychology cannot fix the problem of the brain. Politics cannot cannot solve the problem of ongoing wars and conflicts. The real problem lies in the heart. And what he missed is what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah said this. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. I mean, it's, it's desperately sick. And rhetorically, he said, who can understand it? It is the heart that is the problem. And Jesus came to fix that problem. The challenge really, is not why we should follow the real challenges, which Jesus to follow. I think some people, the way they follow Jesus, the way they obey God is like choosing cheeseburger. When you go to a restaurant and you order a cheeseburger, we want to customize your cheeseburger. You know, if you've been to California, you would have probably eaten the, from the in and out. It's very, very good burger by the way, to me at least. And, and people would ask you, you know, they will take your order, what do you want? I want cheeseburger without onions, cheeseburger without mustard, cheeseburger with, you know, pickles, etc. We want to customize it. And some people, when they follow Jesus, they want to customize Jesus as well. Some people will follow a Jesus who will abundantly bless them, but not a Jesus who will call, who will call them to suffer for him. Some people will follow a Jesus who will give them a life that is abundant, a prosperous life, a life that is free from sickness, but not to suffer for His sake. See, the problem here is that people want a personal Jesus who is like a personal trainer, like a life coach, like a personal assistant who can provide for their needs 24-7, but not a Jesus who calls for them to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You cannot nitpick on Jesus. That's why the question is not why we should follow Jesus. The question is which Jesus to follow. Because Jesus asked for that thing. And this is the dilemma of Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. And you know this. One of the Beatitudes said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If I'm going to make a modern translation of, out of this one, I would say, Blessed are you when others bash you and cancel you falsely on my account. See, there's this crowd who welcomed Jesus when he was entering the city of Jerusalem, saying, Hosanna, son of David. Save us, son of David. But where's this crowd when Pilate brought out Jesus, all blooded out, And he's saying, who should I release? Is Jesus or Barabbas? Which one should I release? Where's this crowd? Where's this crowd who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David, when Jesus was walking the walk of shame, going to Golgotha? Where's this crowd when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the people are mocking him and ridiculing him, saying, save yourself? So in the same way, I find myself asking the same question. When people begin to mock Jesus when people begin to question our conviction why we believe in Jesus, when people begin to bash us because we believe in the teachings of Jesus I ask myself, where will I be? what will I do? if I begin to post on my Facebook or my Twitter or my TikTok and say I'm a follower of Jesus and people begin to ridicule me what will I do? The question again is His. It's not the question why you should follow. The question is which Jesus should you follow. Because really, Jesus is asking us to follow Him. The Jesus who was born, who was raised, who died, and after three days, who rose again. This is the Jesus that we follow. Not just the Jesus who just wants to give life that is free from sickness, from failures, from evil. This Jesus is asking us to follow Him. I pray. Father, allow us once again to bask in the glory of Your presence and understand who You really are. Thank You for allowing us to have convictions. Thank You for allowing us to believe in You. But Father, I pray that you will reveal yourself to each and every one of us. Allow us, Father, to know you better. Not just the the Jesus who can heal the sick, who can make miracles, but also the Jesus who, who suffered, the Jesus who was whipped, the Jesus who was flogged, the Jesus who was crucified on the cross. And sometimes we get confused because the messages are... Twisted, But Father, I pray that you will enlighten our minds so that we can see like the disciples who were brought to the mountain and they see Jesus being transformed with the glory of light. Father, allow us to see your glory so that we can follow you with conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: So let